Chase Waters, 36 seconds into the overtime. Right. Oh, let's go. Tristan Robbins bangs away at it second time. Slows it behind for Taylor. It's in the net. Blades Uncut. Les Lazarick with a white Blades jersey today. Correct. Okay, so we are on week some, two I of this tour. Spa- I even got some spaghetti sauce oh, on it. Just saved little, some from the last spot. night. Yeah. yeah. Have a little snack here later on. I had, That was part of my lunch oh. today. <laughs> right. Episode 27 of Blades Uncut is here. <laughs> my name is Mitch Bach, and as always, joined by <clears throat> Les Lazarick. This is a presentation of Great Western Brewing Company, and we've got a big episode in store. A lot of news out of the WHL that we want to touch on. February yes. 26th is the day that Alberta-based teams are starting yes. up the season. Yes, they got the approval last Thursday from the Alberta government. The five teams, now here's the situation. They're going to be able to play in their home rinks, yep. which is great. They travel around to various places. The deal is, though, is that with five teams, and you can only play home-and-home home series on weekends only, mm-hmm. so that means one team is going to be sitting out. Mm-hmm. So over the course of a five-week span, everybody's going to get a bye, and you're going to play eight games in those five weeks. Well, then the math becomes pretty easy. To get to 24 games, that's eight times three is 24 games. Yep. Five weeks times three is 15 weeks. Yep. So starting February 26th, your regular season isn't going to end until May 30th. Math. That's the way that's looking right now for Alberta. And of course, you've crunched the numbers. And if there happens to be COVID 19 involved in that, God, hopefully not. Yeah. But then there's a two week delay. Yeah, that's right. So that's not good. Hopefully, we can stay away from that. That's Alberta. That's Alberta. That's what they're planning on doing. Mm -hmm. The state of Washington, back on Monday, we're recording this Wednesday for Thursday playback. Monday, it was reported that. They had approved, and certainly that was confirmed Tuesday. And the commissioner of the Western Hockey League, Ron Robison, told my broadcast colleague in Kelowna, Regan Bartell, that that indeed is what's happening. Washington has approved. We don't know about Portland. That's right. My understanding is is that they're still waiting on the state of Oregon to approve. But behind the scenes, the thought is, is that Portland might just move across the Columbia River into the state of Washington and play games, either in Vancouver or I'll throw a, a location out that's got a rink ready to go. Wenatchee, Washington, okay. would be a possible place. So that division looks like it's going to go and start. Don't know a date yet or anything like that, but similar to Alberta, they're going to travel and play in their home mm-hmm. rinks. Mm-hmm. There is no start date no. on Washington. No, no start yet, date. But given the green light. Given the green light yes. in the state of Washington, they, they yeah. just need Portland's situation to be you know, figure it out and and then go from there. Yeah. Well, it's positive news. It doesn't matter which province you're in. I think it's positive news, especially here in Saskatchewan. You got to think that Sask Health Authorities are looking at that and thinking, okay, they are in a situation right now where they have found a way to do it. Yep. Why can't we find a way to do it? It, it's, It's two out of the six jurisdictions have approved. Nine out of the 22 teams have approval to go. The other thing that came out of that conversation with Ron Robison, he confirmed, is that the BC division has applied, and apparently now the BC government has the proposal in their hands for a two-city hub, Kamloops and Kelowna. We'll host the two, the five teams in BC in a two-city hub. How that works exactly, I don't know. How long it's going to take? Um, it may not take fifteen weeks. It mm-hmm. may take a little bit shorter time because if you're in hubs, 
you don't have to have that five day off in between. Right. I don't believe that you have to have when traveling from place to place. So you can then play three games in a week, possibly. And the time frame to get the regular season done or the 24 game mm-hmm. season done would be shorter. But those are all questions. I'm, I'm just speculating now. I'm just spitballing. Spitballing. But I believe, though, that if, if you get that type of uh, approval in BC for a two city hub, you're able to do it in a little shorter period of time. Yeah. What happens in Saskatchewan and Manitoba? Only the governments and health authorities in those provinces know. Yeah, I think right now, if you're playing, that's a positive. That's that's ultimately the goal of every WHL team. It's a matter of what does it look like, and that has been the, the goal in trying to find what it looks like for the last few months. It, there hasn't been a way for us to go about playing or finding that way what it will look like yet, but I think right now, leaning towards a potential bubble here in Saskatchewan somewhere, either here, Saskatoon, Regina, and there's also the outside chance that maybe Winnipeg will host the bubble. But it sounds like teams are leaning towards a bubble scenario here in Saskatchewan if we do end up dropping the puck. Yeah, I was going to say, people around the league that I've spoken to, and I'm not just talking to people in Saskatoon Mm -hmm. or in the province of Saskatchewan. I'm talking to people in the league outside of the province, and they have told me, Looks like you guys, meaning Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the East Division, yeah. you guys are probably going to end up being in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay. Sure. See you, dear. Well, I'm gone for 50 days or however long it's going to take in order to play this. Yeah, here's another thing, too, that, um, that Alberta's dealing with is the Calgary Hitmen and the Edmonton Oil Kings. You, they're not going to be playing out of the NHL ranks. The Hitmen won't be playing out of the Saddle Dome and the Oil Kings won't be playing out of Rogers. There's no way the NHL will allow that. Well, they're not going to play out of the big rink in Edmonton. The Oil Kings will play out of the community rink. The community that's rink, there. that's right. So that's yeah. fine. Yeah. They can do that. Yeah. That's no problem. Yeah. Calgary, on the other hand, now that one's a little different because right now the Corral, which is right across the street mm-hmm. from the Saddle Dome and mm-hmm. right across from where their dressing rooms are, is being demolished. <laughs> So what would have been a that's wonderful, too, what, what, because, what, yeah, it is, because yeah, yeah. that's, that's a rink that goes back to the days of oh, the Centennials yeah. and the original Calgary teams in the Western Hockey League going back to the late 1960s. Yeah. But that rink no longer becomes available to the Hitmen. So where or do the Hitmen play? Not that there aren't rinks in Calgary. Trust me, there's, <laughs> there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of options, as you would yeah. well know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's speculation between Father David Bauer, because yeah. that's where the WHL offices are located. There you go. Right next to the University of Calgary as well. Yeah. So it's quite central. It's easily accessible. Uh, Winsport is another highly touted rink. It's it's fairly new. It's It was only constructed within the last 15 years or so. And it's uh, obviously built to withstand the needs of not just like a major junior hockey team, but also the National Development Program. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the Mount Royal University rink too, which is located down in the south, and the Flames logo is all over that rink. So uh, you know that it's the Calgary Sport and Entertainment, uh, you know, group is is linked in there. So there are options for the Hitmen to play. It's just not going to be at the Saddle, though. Just don't say the Mark and McPhail Center because that's becoming the curling bubble starting very, very soon. Uh, Is it? That's right. That starts February 19th with the... Canadian Women's or the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. They are playing. Well, they've they've got six events, one right after the other. All right. So I saw that, I thought that I saw a news article. Maybe it was just, uh, you know, restricting fans and attendance, but uh, I'm surprised that they're actually playing. They're playing. Should I be surprised? No, you shouldn't No, No. I mean, well, hey, if you're going to have an Olympics in 2022 in Beijing, 
then you've got to have, I don't, even, don't forget now, the Roar of the Rings, the Canadian yep. Olympic trials are in Saskatoon at Sastel Centre. So we're booted out of that rink when the Blades start play next fall mm-hmm. uh, for most of the month of November because that's yep. when the Olympic trials are on in yep. November of 2021. Roar of the Rings, that's right, yeah. So in order to make sure that you have all the proper people involved, you're having to have national women's and men's championships. That's right. Along yep. with mixed doubles. To. Yeah. And then there's other things that are involved in that. There's a world men's championship that's in that bubble as well sometime in April. So it's it's quite an elaborate plan that they have, about six straight or seven straight weeks of curling in the Mark and McPhail Centre in Calgary, starting on the 19th with the Canadian Women's Championship. Wow, all right. That mixed curling is quite the sport to watch. Mixed too. doubles. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a big deal now. <laughs> that is a big deal. That's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. It is fun. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Look, this is already, we're only, what, like eight minutes in and I'm already learning things. <laughs> Stick with me, it's kid. It's success, I'll, all right. I'll keep, yeah. you, I'll keep you informed. <laughs> all right, well, let's... I've got my pulse. Oh, darn, that pulse isn't going... <laughs> and there he Sorry. goes. There he goes. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap. Time for a nap. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have a big episode uh, in store uh, here momentarily. We'll recap the trivia question from last week. Uh, we do have a winner to announce as well. But oh, Paul good. Paul Butchkowski will be oh, uh, yeah. coming on here momentarily too. And I'm sure you've got a lot of stories and uh, some fun tales that you can relay about him. This is a good man. Yeah. This this is a guy again who was a veteran on the very first Blades team that I called games for back in the fall of 1994. And uh, uh, I, there's a couple of off-ice things that I'm going to mention to him and see if he can remember them. I'm hoping he does. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, It's just just so much that goes on on some of these trips, especially when you go out west. uh, And we everybody goes, oh, wow, that's a long trip. You play five games. (laughs) Back then you played everybody in the West Division. That was seven games. And it took you two and a half weeks (laughs) <laughs> away from home in order to play that. And there were, you know, how do you keep everybody kind of engaged? Yeah. Well, you know, you find ways. And yeah. Warren Mulliken was a great guy who could find a way to do that. So I, I have a couple of things to bring up with, with, with right. Butch that yeah. should be interesting. Yes. Looking forward to it. Yeah. He's yeah. got, well, I mean, he's he's a record holder in, in two different categories too. So yes. it's not like his name is left out of Blade's lore by any means. This is a guy that we've talked about having on the podcast for a long time. We're thrilled to have him come on. And it sounds like he's also equally as excited to, to just reflect on his days with the Blades. He's a local guy, highly touted local player from back in the day mm-hmm. who played for the team and played very well and moved on and had a career in professional hockey. Not quite in the National Hockey League, unfortunately, but... He had himself a good, long hockey career and now has transferred it over into coaching at the minor level. Mm-hmm. And he's got a son that's kind of son. similar to him and, in terms of being a hotshot well, player. And I hear his daughter's quite good, too. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So, yeah, we'll touch on that. A couple of Butchkowski's coming up through the ranks. That's right. Watch out. <laughs> It'll be fun to have him come on, for sure. Uh, for right now, um, you know, okay, so I uh, usually put these... Uh, these rundowns together every week, you know, go through the preparation, print out the document, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to say, and lost in my preparation for this week's episode was the fact that the Flames and the Jets were playing last night. <laughs> okay? So they, so they let, played... Okay, okay let's, no, no, let's, okay. Let's, let's, let's get this. Let me read exactly what you have written here, O Calgary Flames fan breath. <laughs> what happened in the NHL last night? And then he writes in, wink, wink. <laughs> Because the Flames on Monday night came back from 2 nothing down and beat the Jets in shootout. 
with the help of a goal from 140 feet away, hey. which I'm still not sure what the heck Connor Hellebuck was doing. That's... <laughs> but... A knuckler. But... Yeah. We got a point, we being the Jets, got a point out of that because we yeah. came from behind again. We fell Points behind 3-2. Points, Points matter. matter. Yeah. And then last night, Tuesday night. Without me realizing they were playing. The Jets yeah. went out to a 3-0 lead and held on for a 3-2 regulation time victory. I know. We get two points. The Flames get nada. Yeah, yeah I know. It's karma because I wasn't properly preparing this rundown. The rundown is just emblazoned with just how great my Flames played Monday. They completely forgot to show up to play last night. Careful how you go about things on a day-to-day basis because it can come back and bite you in the butt. Long season, less <laughs> Long season. But three games down, okay, this bet that we've got going on, you're leading the bet. Darn tootin' okay? I am. These regulation losses are killing me. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh, boy. But, yeah, so... um. The rubber match, I guess, is tomorrow night, uh, which we're... Well, we've got two more games yet, because there's a, there's a game in Winnipeg coming up, and then there's a game in Calgary. Right, the rubber match in Winnipeg, and that's right. Yeah. Then they then they shift over to Calgary. Yeah, it's, so, what a yeah. schedule this is. Like I know. Four, four, four straight games straight against each other. games against Nuts. a single team. So, you know what? That's okay. Calgary's going to come out guns a-blazing tomorrow night. Johnny Gaudreau showed up, and, you know, Matthew Kachuk has been great. It's... If we get it's any, just, if we get any goaltending at all from Hellebuck, we'll be fine. Yeah. Hey, Brassois played quite well last night. He's very capable. Does that beg the question on no. who to? St- you, no. no, no. I think no, it might. No, there's no goaltending controversy in Winnipeg. No, no. Okay. I mean, there's Paul no. Ma- Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice is not going <laughs> to go down that path. There's no goaltending right controversy no. in Calgary right now either. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. But. I mean, Brassois, a, a former, uh, a former member of the Flames too, and that was still a trade that I'm pretty salty over. He looked really good last night. Former member of the Edmonton, Edmonton Oil Oilers. Kings, Oil, Oil Kings, Kings, Oil too. Kings, and Oilers, Oilers Junior. Yeah. I know he's. He was, I mean, I yeah. remember him playing. Uh, he was very good back yeah. then. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah, so two more games, I guess, this week: Flames and Jets. And um, if we record this episode next week, and if the Flames. Get behind the eight ball in the first period like they have been for the last however many weeks. Ever since basically the first game of the season, they've just showing up late to the party. Like, let's go. Like, the game starts in the first period, not the second period. That's right. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah, so uh, I, I'm surprised you haven't rinsed me more about this. No, because that's not what you do. All right. I'm not a Habs fan. Yeah. I'm not an Oilers fan. I'm not going to sit there and belabor the fact that my team beat your team and you guys suck and we're great. That's what Habs and Oilers fans do. Because that's what Habs and Oilers fans do, and that's why I hate them so. (laughs) Okay, true. Fair enough. Well, speaking of rinsing, so um, last week... uh, (laughs) I know where this is going. This is is fun. This is fun. So we obviously, we had a great conversation with Wyatt McLeod last week. Fabulous. Okay? Fabulous. Um, What a stand-up young man he is. A great storyteller. One of the stories that he was telling involved our associate coach, Ryan Marsh. Okay? Yep. Now, McLeod, you can listen back on the interview. It was, told this really great story of how uh, back in his playing days with Edmonton, while Ryan was coaching in Edmonton, they had a road trip out here to Saskatoon. And, you know, it's the associate coach, the assistant coach's job. It was Marshy's job, according to Wyatt, to plan the meal. They were coming over for an overnighter, 
you know, it sounded like they were coming in on a Thursday and, you know, playing the Blades on a Friday or so. While they roll into town, they're 10 minutes out. Where are we eating? Marshy, you forgot the restaurant. <laughs> According to Wyatt. According to Wyatt. Yep. Okay, so I go into the office on Monday. Marshy comes out to me. He says, he's got it all wrong. He's got it all wrong. I, got, I don't know where he's getting that story from. Marshy, a little pale-faced, you know, tell me. You can tell that he's, he's a, little a little bit riled up about this. He's a little this. salty, isn't he? he? Big time. Big time. So we chatted for a while. Marshy has no idea where Wyatt gets this story from. He's just lost. He actually confronted Wyatt about it. Obviously, all fun and games. Yeah. yeah. But has no idea where it's coming from. And even when he asked and questioned Wyatt about it, Wyatt didn't, oh, well, no, I thought that's exactly what happened. I you know couldn't, I, I couldn't think, figure it out. I think the solution to this is mm. I mean it took you I mean you got speaking of being rinsed you got rinsed big time by GM and President Colin Priestley last week up. for yeah. not having him on until episode 26. <laughs> At least he's been on. So too now have head coach Mitch Love. Yeah. Assistant coach new assistant coach Tyler Dietrich. Mm-hmm. But the associate coach still hasn't been on this show. <laughs> he hasn't been well aware. He is oh, well and, aware, and I'm of that. sure he's been letting you know about that. <laughs> When's it my turn? Well, it it should be any day now. It should be any episode now. Not just to talk about the team yeah. and the defense that the team has got put together and the young guys that they've got on the blue line that he's going to have a lot to do with, but to defend himself and maybe he's to tell to some himself. stories about some of these other coaches and GMs, etc. Yeah. No, I was I was telling Marshy like let's get you on, let's clear the air. We this is something and? that what's he said? Absolutely, let's do oh, it. Oh, good, okay, oh, good. for sure. So right. later on this month, so this now we're setting the stage for something that's going to be coming up in the future. So now we know Wyatt told a story that's not true, throwing Marshy under the bus. Mm-hmm. Under you go. Now Marshy's got to defend himself and come up with some kind of a story against Wyatt. Those tire treads on his back aren't good, are they? <laughs> not good. Not good at not all. Not good, but. Oh. No, Marshy was not too pleased nope. about that. I can just imagine. I've 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 seen Ryan that way. I've, oh, I've yeah. seen Marshy yeah. a little a little perturbed. At no. me sometimes. Knowing Marshy, he is a very <laughs> detail-oriented coach. Oh, similar yeah. to Mitch Love. That is not something nope. that he would have forgotten. Nope. Nope. You book the meal, you've got it well done in advance. What he did say is that sometimes you like to mix it up. Mm-hmm. Go to a restaurant that maybe they've never tried before, or mm-hmm. you know, so maybe that's where the confusion for why it came into play. Ah, maybe. Uh, well, he said I when the know. place they got to it was and whatever, whichever one it was, we're not going to throw. Not, we're not going to throw them under the <laughs> I'd bus. I'd love to know because it may because it, it may still be it, it may not even be in existence anymore for all we know. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, they weren't all that great. So. <laughs> not that they weren't all that great. It was just very different. Yeah. Very, very different. Yep. There's a lot of restaurants in Saskatoon, so every restaurant has to be a little different. Yes. Right? Yep. But, yeah, so at some point, next next couple of weeks, I think, on. I think we I'm should anxious. have both on at the same time, okay? Like, <laughs> settle this as... As men, uh, <laughs> all right. So I don't you know, like Wyatt's chances. Then no, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> not. Yeah, not the wisest move on his part. Mm-hmm. New member of a team where you are, and you know you're expected to come on with some leadership roles, and you're going to throw your associate coach under the bus before you even shake hands. All right. I, th- I think you better get <laughs> them separated by in, in separate rooms with with a window that is. 
closed, covered yeah. by uh, you know window film from Tint Center of Saskatoon. Saskatoon's premier window film provider at tintcenter.ca, or you can call them at 306-683-3456. They are one of the sponsors of the Blades Uncut podcast. Yes, episode 27, you've been listening to this. It's a presentation of Great Western Brewing Company. Let's switch gears into the trivia question recap from last week. We've obviously touched base on Wyatt McLeod, what tremendous conversation mm-hmm. he was. He was drafted in the seventh round in 2015 by the Edmonton Oil Kings. The question is, who did the Blades select in the seventh round of 2015? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Bit of a trick question here. And our winner apparently even knew that. Figured yeah, that that's right. That's right. The answer is no one. That's did right. not have a pick nope. in the seventh round of 2015. Nope. And the guy who saw between the lines and came out with the right answer is Mike Keelick, a yep. previous winner on this Blades, yep. Blades Uncut question. He called us out saying it was a trick question. They did not have a pick in the seventh round of the Bantam Draft in 2015. Very detail-oriented Mike Keelick. So congratulations, Mike. Got a $20 gift card to the Frozen Pond waiting for you at the Sastel Center. I'll be in touch in the next couple of weeks. Make sure you get your hands on that. Speaking of the store and, you know, the Frozen Pond, that's ultimately where these gift cards are for. We are in the process right now of piecing together our Frozen Pond location in the Sastel Center. So right now, curbside pickup is not available. Next couple of weeks or so, we're going to be launching that back. Just stay glued on our Facebook and Twitter channels for more information there. Indeed. Can't stay glued on our Instagram channel because we're still locked still. out. Still. Oh, my Okay. Don't, you know, I wasn't even going to bring this up. <laughs> but you now you have. Because it's <laughs> beyond frustrating. Oh. Trying to, I'm, I don't have a problem calling Instagram out on just how horrible their customer service and their technical support is. Yeah. There's just nothing we can do. Yep. Locked out from a phishing scam. Okay. So let's, yeah, send us the code. Code doesn't send. You know those six-digit codes, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, text yeah, message, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Code doesn't send. Okay, so let's try getting in touch with Instagram. Let's send them an email. Surely they have to have a service desk email. No email. Mm-hmm. What they do have is some kind of a form that we were able to somehow find when we needed more help. We've thrown probably a couple of dozen of these forms, you know, e- wherever these forms are collected in Instagram's you know, dungeon of whatever they got going on. <laughs> Somewhere down there, there's probably pretty close to 30 of these forms that they have to sift through with the Saskatoon Blades name on them that uh, is basically voicing our concern because we don't have an Instagram account that's operable right now. Ah, uh, incredible. Okay. I don't want to get too far off the tangent here. I think we got Paul Butchkowski who wants to come on here right away. So why yeah. don't we get him on? Let's take it away. All right, and joining us now is, I'm going to call him one of the all-time greats in Blades franchise history, a guy from here in Saskatoon, who back when he was growing up was one of these guys you know, you label as can't-miss prospect, and no doubt about it, he was a can't-miss prospect. He played tremendous hockey as a defenseman growing up, went and ended up his entire career, five-plus seasons. He played quite a few games as he a 15-year-old. That's right. With the Saskatoon Blades. His entire career, right through 20-year-old season with the Blades. And he transitioned, seamlessly, I might add, from being a defenseman into a very good, productive forward. We've got him here listed as being, you know, uh, one of the great Blades defensemen of all time. Yeah, pretty fair. He can be, yeah. Pretty fair forward great as well. I might, defenseman, I'm, great forward. I remember the, some of the some of the the, the the two seasons I got a chance to spend with this fella, yeah. playing with the team. My first two years calling Blades games, he was among the top scorers on the team, among the top scorers in the entire Western Hockey League. So, yeah, it's great to have with us on the uh, Blades Uncut podcast, Paul Butchkowski, 
Saskatoon guy uh, who's been with a blades, uh, you know, got got the tattoo, uh, you know, on on his uh, on his backside from being a member of the blades and. Uh, has gone on and now is coaching and his son and his daughter are big time uh, hockey prospects as well. Paul, welcome to the Blades Uncut podcast. It is overdue that we have you on, but welcome. That's quite an introduction, Les, and <laughs> you're making me blush a little bit over Good. on this side of uh, uh, of the city. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's uh, I've, been, I've heard a couple of your podcasts and, you know, we were just talking about Rhett Warners and, you know, it's uh, it was an honor to, to you know, grow up in Saskatoon and play for the hometown team. And fortunately I stayed healthy throughout that, that whole piece of those five or six years that I ended up playing. But, um, you know, I've been coaching, as you said, I've got two kids that are fully involved in hockey. Uh, my one daughter was playing mid to AAA for the stars. My son, I have a 14 year old. Oh, I have to correct myself. 15. He just turned last week. <laughs> okay. He's amongst the top prospects, but I do have a set of twins that are 10 as well. Oh, so. all right definitely a busy household but uh, thanks for having me on i'm looking forward to it it's uh it's always great uh to, to talk to you guys All right. yeah so so butch the first thing you said to us when we got you on the phone before we started recording this uh blades uncut podcast episode you said we can just get rid of this COVID 19 stuff what have you been doing over the course of the last 10 and a half 11 months you know what it's been pretty tough unfortunately i just uh uh, went through a, through a divorce. Um, you know, that took up uh, obviously quite, quite a bit of time over the last couple of years. Um, but I've also switched jobs. I, I'm an accountant by trade. I'm a CPA. Uh, but I made a change, believe it or not, right in the middle of the COVID pandemic, right mm-hmm. in April of last year. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been tough, but, uh, you know, we're still able to go to the rink, which is one positive thing. We get the kids to the, to the outdoor rink, you know, every once in a while. But I am one of those people that's cooped up at home um, I got my office in my bedroom, and oh, yeah. sometimes it's not a far way to get to work. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the motivation side is also probably what a lot of other people are feeling right now is a little bit of frustration, you know, especially from the activities and that sort of stuff that are restricted. But obviously, we, we want people to stay safe, and, yeah. and hopefully with uh, with what's coming, we can ease some restrictions soon. Okay, quick commercial time. Who are you working for now? Uh, right now, I work for Sunrise Food in- Foods International. And we are an organic feed and food company, um, and we are actually worldwide. Right. And this oh, company right. is right here from here in Saskatoon. So it's one of those companies I didn't know much about, but got an opportunity to work with them, and it's been great so far. So with that job, let's say COVID wasn't a thing, would you still be able to be a full-time head coach for a good Bantam program in the city with that job? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I'm the I'm the director of credits, and I do have a little bit of flexibility with my job. And Sunrise Foods is one of those companies that the culture is just fantastic. So okay, yeah. they do re yeah they do realize that there is life, you know, beyond work, and and they're more than flexible with that. So you know, I am coaching the Bantam Double A team. Unfortunately, we haven't been going full bore, but we're still mm-hmm. at the rink. I'm assistant coach with uh, you know the Saskatoon Red Wings Adam Tier One team as well. So fairly full schedule, but they've been more than accommodating and great company to work for. Mm -hmm. You're kind of uh, restricted in terms of the hockey to, what is it, eight people on the rink at a time right now? Is that sort of a thing? How often are you able to get out onto the ice with the full teams, as per se, in in chunks of eight people at a time? Yeah, it's it's kind of a little bit more difficult with the Bantam team because we have 17 on a roster. So unfortunately, every practice, you know, we split into two, two 45-minute sessions. And then what happens is, you know, one person's unfortunately got to sit. And... You know, we don't have that with the Adam kids yet, but, uh, you know, the motivation is hard. I mean, it's fortunate that I'm a skills coach, and I think, you know, I was doing my, my HP1, my coaching certification last year, and 
I've coached 29 teams over the last nine seasons. So <laughs> wow. the, the skills piece is something that I enjoy to do. And, you know, it's not very often you get an eight-to-one ratio with a coach. So, you know, we're we're doing pretty well. The kids are staying motivated for the most part. But as you probably know, the frustration is mounting. Yeah, I could only imagine that must be one of the most challenging parts because you got to try to keep these kids motivated and still trying to compete and develop at an age like that. Oh, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, that's one thing that I think separates me as a coach from a lot of other coaches is, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been coached by a lot of different people and I take the good and the bad. And, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll bring up Moon or Lauren Mullican here soon at some (laughs) point, but, um, you know, you you gotta, you gotta try to keep the motivation high. And and nowadays it's a little bit different than it was. And even talking to Dave Struish, um, you know, a couple of years ago about just how the players are, are able to get motivated. Some are, some aren't, but, you know, for the most part, we're pretty lucky here in the city that we're still able to even get on the ice. So we're not taking that part for granted. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll touch a little bit more on your son, your daughter, and, you know, your kids and how their hockey careers are, are going. But let's go back into, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, back when you were around that age. Was it a goal of yours to play for the Saskatoon Blades? How exactly did that all come about back when you were, you know, just a 12, 13, 14-year-old? Yeah, it was uh, it was something that I always wanted to be a Saskatoon Blade, but believe it or not, uh, you know, I didn't get to go to a lot of games when I was young. I do remember, obviously, you know, players like Wendell Clark and Corey Kosher and yeah. and all of these players, and I still remember good old Dave Chartier who ended up, you know, being my assistant coach, uh, you know, when I played with the Blades. But you know, every time we got onto the rink, I just wanted to be I just wanted to be on the ice with those guys, and and you know, and and sometimes they'd be practicing at the Kinsmen. And we'd be able to watch them. And I remember getting an autograph stick that it, uh, that Wendell Clark broke, and I still have it. And, and, you know, I couldn't have been 12 or 13 years old, but it was definitely always a goal. I was born and raised here in Saskatoon, mm-hmm. um, you know, up through the, the Saskatoon minor hockey organization, or, through, you know, up through Midget AAA. I played for yeah. the Blazers. And then up through the Blazers, I was very fortunate um, because this was before the Bantam draft. And I think uh, – yeah. You know, I think Rhett Warner was the first, uh, one of the first guys that was, was, was yep. drafted him and Chad Allen, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think uh, when I was 12 or 13 years old, I was protected by, I think it was Spokane or Portland, and the Blades ended up making a three-player deal for me. And fortunately, okay. they got near 400 games on me, and I think those three players that they traded me for, I don't think played one game in the Western Hockey League. So, <laughs> so paid off for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a definite gamble. Yeah, the, the fact, the, the way it works now, and it started, like you said, in 1991 was the first Bantam draft that the Western Hockey League held. It wasn't overly big. I think it was like three or four rounds. And you mentioned the guys, some of the guys that got drafted in that first draft by the Blades. You were before that. Your first eligibility would have been before that. And back then it was... Basically, whoever could get to you first Just and sign you as a free, free all, agent, yeah, yeah free-for-all. What was that like? Tell, tell me, do you remember how it, all of a sudden you found out that you were the property of some team out in, the, out in the Pacific Northwest of the United States? Well, it was really quite strange because, you know, my, my mom and dad, they, they're not really, they weren't really sports enthusiasts, but, uh, you know, my dad came over from Germany in 1955 uh, he was a goalie, which explains a lot nowadays that I look back at it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, I still remember uh, going in intermission, skating at the old barn when I was about 11 years old, and they had some Saskatoon minor hockey players come in there and do just do shootouts. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, coming down just over the blue line, I took a big slap shot and I hit it off the crossbar as a 10 or 11-year-old or 12-year-old. And believe it or not, I think that's spurred some of the discussion with the Saskatoon wow, Blades and Daryl Lubinicki and those guys, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, we did get a phone call, but 
to us, it didn't really mean anything at all. We had no idea what, you know, uh, how it worked or who we were supposed to be talking to and that sort of stuff. And then we did get a call from Daryl Lubinicki shortly thereafter that, that uh, they ended up uh, getting my rights for Saskatoon here. So as it turned out, mm. it was great. I was able to play at home um, in front of my friends and family. And, you know, what a great experience it was. You talk about how you're coaching and you do a lot of skill development. Well, that's in keeping with the way you were as a player, Paul. You were a very skilled type of player. You had the ability to skate well, stick handle, shoot the puck like you mentioned. I mean, your shot was among the hardest on the team, I remember, back at the time. Uh, all those things you were able to do that had the skill component to it. When did that come to you and you realize that, hmm, maybe I can make something out of this game because I'm actually pretty decent? <laughs> well, I don't know if I ever thought I was that good. Come on. <laughs> you know, moving up to minor hockey, um, it was a little bit different back then to the point where they put you with the right skill set of players and, and age didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Now you have to get all these exemptions and all these other things. But I was, I was always playing against kids two and three years older. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always fit in skill-wise with those kids. So I never thought I was really anything special. You know, I just kind of went out there, worked my butt off and... You know, if I scored a goal or two, it was fantastic. But I didn't. I got frustrated just like any other you know, minor hockey league player. But I really noticed a difference when I started to play mid to AAA. And, you know, yeah. that I had an opportunity to, to make it. Even though I'm small, I was only five foot nine. Uh, maybe shrunk a little bit since then. That's a whole different story. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, when I played mid to AAA and I got to play against those elite players uh, was when I really had really had that drive to try to make myself better. Yeah. And, you know, I had the opportunity early with the blades when I was 15 and, and, but I'll tell you what, even, I think it would have been my second or third game. And I love to tell the story because it puts a lot of players nowadays, um, you know, back into their, Hey, maybe I'm not that good. Well, I still remember I was 15 years old and we were at SaskTel center and good old Mike Sillinger. Boy, there's a name from the past mm, as well. Oh, yeah. but what a, what an amazing player didn't, Boy, did he ever teach me a lesson. Yeah. So I was on the blue line, took a shot, hit his shin pads. Um, he's got kind of a half breakaway along the, the left-hand boards. I, I'm i 15 years old. I'm full of <laughs> piss and vinegar, and I'm going to catch Mike Sillinger. This guy's a god in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's down going down the left-hand boards. The puck, he, he and I are racing, is just inside the blue line of the, of the our own end. And my eyes are just going, and I'm like, holy geez, I must be really good. I just caught Mike Sillinger, <laughs> right? So all of a yeah. sudden, he hits the brakes. He takes a 90-degree turn towards the center of the ice. I try to hit the brakes. I fall down. <laughs> I go into the corner. He goes up, bar down scores. <laughs> now, the best part of that story is that he came over to me after he scored. He says, welcome to the league, kid. <laughs> <laughs> so right then and there, it was my humble moment to stay humble though, my whole career, no matter who it, it was sports related or, you know, in the business world, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so you play nine games as a 15-year-old, including that one where you get your welcome to the league from Mike Sillinger. Did you ever get the idea that you'd play as many games with the Saskatoon Blades in the Western Hockey League after that? Uh, you know what? I never really did. You know, and and the reason is because I was a realist, and mm-hmm. you know, I looked at guys' stats, and I really studied, you know, that part of the game as well about who was scoring and who wasn't. And you know, even before games, I was looking at the other players' stat sheets, and hence probably why I ended up being an accountant. But uh, <laughs> but you know what? It's I was definitely a realist. Like I, I didn't take it for granted. I came to the rink and and put my work boots on and. I was in the gym every single day working out with guys with Bryce Goble and we were trying to set bench press records and kind of all that sort of weird stuff that you 
you know, potentially the worst thing for hockey, but yeah. you know what? It's, it started to become real after the first or second season. I think my second league year in the league, I got a letter on my Jersey and, and you know, I, it, it was important. It was important to me to, to try to do the best I could. Cause my dad came from overseas. He had a grade 10 education. You know, the education piece was very important too, but yeah. you know what? I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would play, you know, close to 375 games for the blades or even in the Western hockey league for that, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question that I like asking some of our old alumni from around that era. Everyone seems to come up with an interesting answer to this one, but what was your first impression of Lauren Mollican when you were just starting out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? I, uh, my 15-year-old year, I had Terry Ruskowski. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was able to practice a lot with the team, and I've never seen intensity like that before in my life until I met Lauren. And, you know, moving in, moving in the league as a 16-year-old, I remember him calling me in, and he had some expectations of me even as a 16-year-old that year. And, you know, Lauren, admittingly so, said, you know, he's, he wasn't the best X's and O's guys, but I'll tell you what, he was the best motivational coach that I've had to this day. And, you know, there was a couple times where we went to the finals and unfortunately lost to Kamloops um, twice in Game 7. But I think the one year Andy McIntyre might have had the most points on the team at 89. So I don't even think he was in the top 20 in scoring, but we had everybody working for each other. Everybody was willing to go down and block that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also to the point of where times are a little bit different. Now he would come in to the dressing room and not necessarily intimidate, but try to motivate you to do better. Yeah. And everybody bought in, but you knew the one thing that is if you battled for him, he was going to battle for you. So there was yeah. that give and take, right? And, and I think that definitely worked back then. We had, we brought our lunch boxes to the rink, and you know everybody went to work. That's what we were known as, and people hated playing against us. Mm-hmm. So my first impression of Lauren was there's no BS. You put your work boots on when you get to the rink. When you get out, he doesn't care what happens, but just come ready to the rink to work. And he carried on that whole culture uh, for the the whole time he was there. Mm-hmm. The volume sometimes out of practice, especially after he wasn't all that terribly happy with a performance the night before. The volume was pretty high. I do recall one practice after a particularly galling loss where he had guys doing the uh, uh, drill whereby the forward would start with a little bit of a head start and the defenseman would try to catch up and disrupt. And he wasn't getting the effort out of his defenseman. And I think he ended up starting as the defenseman and told Wade Belak of all people hmm. to start out as the forward. And he came back down on Belak and actually wound up and slashed him and said, I want that all the time when you guys in this situation, I don't want to see any pussyfooting around going on. It was along <laughs> that it was along that line. Do you remember stories like that with Lauren? Oh, I do. And you know what? He, uh, I still remember this. And, and as you already had mentioned, I'd played forward and defense kind of throughout my career. And, mm-hmm. and if anybody ever beat you wide, he says, they better remember that it's going to be the only time because you're going to break your stick over their yeah, arm. There you go. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And he was almost serious. And teams hated coming into Saskatoon. Now that I still talk to, you know, the odd guy here and there when I see him and like, uh, oh, I hate playing against you. And, you know, I ran into Jerome <laughs> again, believe it or not. Uh, we have kids that are the same age. And I think uh, it might have been in Nashville or Minnesota. And ended up talking to him a bit and, you know, of course, he probably didn't remember me, so I went back and introduced myself and congratulated him on the amazing career. And, and he says, I hated you guys. <laughs> so we, we obviously left a mark left on Jerome McGinley, yeah. which was fantastic. That's a but, pretty good thing to tip your cap to. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know what, the stories go on and on. And, and one of the stories that I love to tell is, you know, this was used to be a myth that was going around, but I believe we were in Medicine Hat and we played one of those horrible games. And I'm not sure if, uh, if everybody uh, who's listening to the podcast knows about Saskatoon, but there's a bridge that uh, is out on the outskirts of Saskatoon. That's about two kilometers to the actual unloading dock at Sastel Centre. All of a sudden, okay. it's four o'clock in the morning, and the bus was running on, just kind of running on the side of the road, and it stopped, and we're all kind of asleep. Well, apparently, the bus, and I say this in quotations, ran out of gas. <laughs> Lauren says, "Everybody out and start pushing." No way. So we pushed oh. the bus. We had the doors open on the side, so all twenty guys in the bus could push it. We pushed it into the dock. Um, everybody's obviously upset. We just played a bad game. Wow. And unloaded the bus. Well, guess what? The bus fired right up right after we <laughs> unloaded it. <laughs> so there is stories like that that still happen. And, you know, there's the odd time where, you know, Lauren would say, don't hang it up, put it on. And we'd have a practice at four or five mm-hmm. in the morning. That happened a few times as well. But, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's all for the, you look back <laughs> on it now. And I don't think I could do that now with my, my hockey players. But. Well, I was about to ask, maybe that's something you could do to your bantams after a pretty lousy <laughs> performance. Yeah, sometimes if I raise my voice and I've got that coach's voice, it uh, <laughs> it scares the kids That's nowadays. enough of so a I, lesson, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who are some of your favorite teammates, Paul, from your days and uh, guys that maybe you still chum around with or talk to today? Uh, you know what? It's, uh, it's one of those things where, you, you know, you, you kind of try to stay in touch and then, but everybody's got their own thing and, you know, and I haven't yeah. talked to Warrensy for a couple of years. I talked to Clark Wilm once in a while. Um, you know, it's I ran into Shane Calder not long ago. Mm. You know, there's there's the odd time where you, you run into somebody, and I love social media for that fact. And yeah, and you know what? A lot of the guys have have moved on, and, and you know, Andy McIntyre is still out in the, in British Columbia. I mentioned him already, but you know, Mark Watton. You know, you got Derek Tibbs, you got Sean Yakimishin, just still kind of guys doing their thing, and it's. Uh, you know, social media has allowed us to stay in touch. And, you know, it's uh, whoever that you can talk to, there's still guys like Kevin Kaminsky. I took, uh, you know, some coaching clinics with him just recently. And, mm-hmm. you know, you talk to guys like that and it's, you know, it's great to get caught up, you know, but it's also scary because it was 20 years ago. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So I can say probably more than that, 25 years yeah. ago already. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, and the game has changed a lot too, but. You know, everyone's, whether they're still playing somewhere, whether they're coaching, I think a lot of alumni from back then is, is coaching in some sort of a capacity. But how much has the game changed just from from a, from a coaching perspective compared to what it was like back in the 90s? Yeah, for those of the people that watch me, I, I definitely love to play the body. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was 5'9", and I think uh, my 16-year-old year, I was around 190 pounds and, and played probably at 210, 215 pounds, but... You know, I had a low percentage body fat back then, and I'll say that now, but um, it's one of those things where, you know, if you didn't finish your check or if you, you know, didn't get up after a hit, it, it was one of those things where it was, you know, toughen up, toughen up, let's keep going. And I still remember guys getting knocked out, coming back, you know, in two or three shifts. And, you know, you see that every once in a while. But, you know, I played very physical, and I was very fortunate not to have too many injuries. But from a coaching perspective now, you know, um, it's all about speed. You know, yeah. you take a look at the, the McDavid's and the McKinnon's and, you know, even talk about Brett Burns, you got a big guy, a big defenseman like that, that can move. Mm-hmm. And from a skills perspective, like we're teaching pretty much everything, agility, edge work, 
you know, the, the hard work is what I think now everybody has these skills coaches and yeah, some are good, some are bad, but you know, the biggest thing that separates the top kids now is that work ethic still. And, you know, everybody can still kind of shoot the puck. The technology has changed in the sticks, but the physicality of it is still there, but the hard work is what's separating. So the motivation piece to me, when I'm coaching, even, you know, the, the U 11s, you know, versus, you know, the Bantam kids, the, the U 15s, like it's motivation and mm-hmm. any successful coach that I've seen can motivate, you know, they do well. And, the kids do that skill stuff on their own. They've got YouTube now. They've, yeah. They're watching TSN Sports Desk. And you know what I mean? It's just fantastic things they can do. But the, also the big thing is trying to be able to do it in the game. Yeah. Those are the things they can do now. Back in your day, you didn't have all those things at your disposal. So when you went on the road, you had to get a little creative in order to uh, do things. Uh, some good, fun road trip stories. I mean, there's some great old trips that are taken every year, especially out on the other side of the mountains. Anything stick out for you, Paul? Well, I still remember uh, quite a few of the road trips, like even as a 16-year-old, like to go on the road for, for two weeks at a time. And and uh, the Brodsky family, for some reason, they loved Pizza Hut. <laughs> so we ate uh, Pizza Hut for five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. And, and I really wasn't a pizza eater, but then you force yourself to do so. But... You know, a lot of the things that uh, that happen on the road obviously stay on the road. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of the guys, believe it or not, and I think they ran an article a long, long time ago about the tattoos that guys had. And every time we seemed to go on a road trip, one or two guys would, would find a little ink shop and go to get tattoos. <laughs> get a tattoo, okay. Yeah, and it was it was really bizarre. But then all of a sudden, once one guy found a good artist, they would all kind of go. Um, you know, so that was one thing. There was somebody in Kamloops that did it. And just for the record, I have none. So I was one of those guys that didn't get any tattoos. (laughs) And I don't drink. (laughs) And I still don't drink. And I never did. I was a designated driver back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the road trips were so much fun that a lot of guys had trouble preparing for games. You know, it's almost like those guys that went to the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know what I mean? Like to go Mm -hmm. to Vegas and to go to Seattle, to go to, you know, even Tacoma, as scary as it was, was fun. We always found lots of things to do. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting people on the road that want to be your friends as well, if Mm -hmm. you know what I mean. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that being said, I won't mention any names, but, you know what I mean? The road trips were 20 guys on a bus um, having a good time. You know, we had great coaches that... uh, you know, kept an eye on us, but we're also keeping us accountable for what we did. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, some of the road trips were, were long, obviously physically from a standpoint, you play five games in, in eight nights. Um, so you didn't get a whole lot of sightseeing sometimes, uh, on the road, but yeah. Yeah, the hotel stuff and the playing the cards and all that sort of stuff are definitely things that you remember. Okay, my first experience with the team on a long road trip was in the fall of 1994. It's your 19-year-old season, Paul. We go to, and, and back then it was all seven teams in the West Division. You played Prince George, which was in Victoria, but had moved that year. So it's Prince George and Kamloops, but you had the five teams in the States first to play before you got to BC, and including Tacoma, including Seattle. And we stayed right in downtown Seattle because uh, you played at the uh, at the old uh, Seattle Center Arena, which is a story in itself. But <laughs> speaking of sightseeing, I don't know if you remember this particular sightseeing tour that Lauren somehow got us on, but we went in Seattle to the underground city and toured around on that on one day. Do you <laughs> it's remember funny that? you say that. I do remember that. 
And uh, I think some guys got lost on that trip. (laughs) So (laughs) I can't remember what time it was, but uh, I may have been included in that group. But uh, you know what? You you speak of the road trips, and and another good story comes to mind. We uh, right around that time was when the European influx of players happened. We had Ivan Salon, right? right? I think I think at the trade deadline that year, we might have got Dmitry Markovsky. Yeah. Um, and Lee Sorkin and Mark Zolk, I think from Lethbridge. And mm-hmm. I still remember going down and this is uh, kind of an, it might get somebody in trouble at some point, but um, I can't remember who Dimitri played for, but we were approaching the border, the U S border. And he all of a sudden gets up and he goes to the front of the bus and we're like, what are you doing, Dimitri? He says, well, <laughs> isn't it my time to go underneath with the bags? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh. apparently his old team didn't have all the paperwork in order. Oh, so yeah, so to go underneath there. So I love telling that story. No too. way. Yeah. The old slap shot stuff. Oh, yeah, that, that you ended up seeing in real you life. Just assume that was how the league worked. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Man. But thank goodness we had all the documentation for him and he didn't have to go underneath and uh, sit with the bags coming oh, across the border. That is wow. hilarious. Well, crazy. You know, during your time, Paul, uh, obviously, you know, those were some really good blades teams that you were a part of a few playoff runs one of course which stands out is the 93 94 playoff run what was the energy like here in saskatoon playing at the saskatchewan place during that run you know what it uh we were really fortunate in my whole career we ended up getting quite a bit of fans at sastel center and you know i'm not sure what the recorded attendance was at all those years but that mm-hmm. year it seemed to be special we we were good like i looked down that lineup and you know, since uh, since you sent me the initial text, I was kind of looking at, you know, some of the guys I'd play with. And that 19-year-old year, I mean, we were good. We were really good. We were solid. We had three solid lines. We had 60. We had good, good, to good goalies. But you know, it uh, we ran through the playoffs and we ran into some injuries, and then we got to that Kamloops in the final. And looking over that roster, you know, they were almost as good. I think it was when it was my 16 or 17-year-old year where they had Sador yeah. mm-hmm. and Niedemeyer and Corey Hirsch. Well, I think they had Osgood and, you know, they had Shane Doan. And we can name yeah. drop for an hour or two. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where our team just gelled. And, you know, throughout the whole season, we seemed to get better and better and better. But we always found a way. Yeah. And that was the interesting thing about that team that, you know, I didn't really see in a whole lot of other teams is we found a way, whether it was a 2-1 win or an 8-7 win, we'd always come in. And, then, you know, we played that Kamloops in the final. And, you know, I'd love to relive those games. But it uh, we ended up, I think, getting beat 8-1 or 8 nothing in the final that year in Game 7, and Kamloops went on to win. But, you know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where, you know, there's always that one team that stands out through your career, and that was definitely mine. So it's funny you bring that up. It's uh, it, uh, That was definitely a fun year. I just wish that we could have maybe uh, – done something a little bit different in that game seven how about playing against prince albert what was that like well i loved it i loved it it uh you know you're right the fans are right on top of you there in that rink you know you play them i think 17 times a year (laughs) so not only do you become friends with our enemies against the players but you also get the fans right so there's lots of chirping going on behind the bench and you know they didn't have any glass or partitions around so you know it's one of those things where you know, this was in the days of Sean Yacht Commission and, and guys mm-hmm. like, you know, here's a guy, Sean Yacht Commission, one of the toughest guys that I've ever met at five foot eight and and he would absolutely fight anybody. And I still remember my first game or second game playing in PAs. He's getting ready and he's got no elbow pads on. <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? He's like, Oh, I'm gonna get into a fight right away. I'm like, Well, what do you mean? Like, why aren't you wearing elbow pads? Oh, so my arm can slip through my jersey and I can still hit him when he ties me up. 
whoa, and that was a, an eye-opener. But, you know, Prince Albert, like, they had some really good tough teams, too. Dave Nielsen, um, you know, we had our equal guys. Dave Nielsen was really tough to play against. But they also had the skilled guys. Like, you know, you had the top Rowskis, uh-huh. uh, Dennis Peterson, who could kind of do it all as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the battles against Prince Albert over my career were just fantastic. And one player I do remember is Barkley Swenson. Um, he and I used to go at it quite often, but, uh, you know, same size guys and, you know, it's, uh, you were ready. You were ready every time you stepped into PAs. I'm yeah. sure they were ready coming back into Saskatoon. I mean, 293 career penalty minutes, uh, Paul, it's not like you weren't afraid to drop the gloves at times either. Yeah, I was one of those guys, you know what, and, and uh, I was laughing at Warrensy saying he was the eighth toughest guy on the team. And, <laughs> and you know, I wasn't afraid to really to go anybody. I was, yeah. I, I was working out in the gym. I was bench pressing near 400 pounds. I was leg pressing 1,200 pounds. You know, I was pretty strong. I was into martial arts big time. And, and then and hmm. you get a reputation when you end up fighting somebody. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I could throw guys off pretty easily from a physical standpoint, but, but I was one of those guys that didn't fight unless I had to, Yeah. right. If there was a scrum or somebody needed to, to fight, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I would definitely jump in. And, and I still remember Ryan Bonney, um, you know, good young defenseman, fairly big kid, but not quite filled out yet. Aaron Asham ended up taking a cheap shot at him. And I think Aaron was only 16. I might've been that 19 year old year. And I had to jump in and Aaron Asham is one of the toughest guys that I've ever played against. And, before we squared off, I asked him if we're going lefts or rights. And he's a lefty, so we went mm. lefty. I gave him that courtesy because he was younger than me. But, um, you know, those were the type of fights I was in. I was hardly ever one of those ones that was staged. And there was a lot of those, you mm, know. Yeah. And we could go through our, our list of of tough guys. You know, you had Rhett Tremblay and Mark Rader and Mike Gray, Sean Yakimish, and all these guys could go toe-to-toe with anybody in the league. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't really afraid of it. I was more of a intimidating factor i guess from the physical side from the body check side so let those guys do that and let me try to put the puck in the net too yeah well and you did that too 126 goals over your career it's not like you weren't uh shy from the score sheet something like that especially when you take a look at your longevity with the blades you must have gotten some pro looks back when you were 18 19 years old hey paul I did. I ended up, um, I was invited to five NHL camps. Um, I went to Calgary Flames three times. And, and this was back in the day, too. I think there was only eight rounds in the NHL draft. And my agent back then, he says, if you don't go in the top four, you really don't want to go. And, and I said, well, well, why? And he said, well, now you get to pick. So then we sent out some resumes. And, and you know, Dave King was in Calgary at the time. And, you know, we, uh, they ended up extending an invitation. Mm-hmm. And I had a really good camp at my 17-year-old year. And, and again, I, but I totally went in and, you know, Trent Yanni, who was there at the time, said, never try to think what they're thinking. Hmm. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And he says, well, because it's going to be totally the opposite. So I remember going in there and my very first shift in the inter-squad game were at Father David Bauer Arena. There's a couple thousand people. And i lining up on the left wing and this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, do you want to go? And I'm like, this is the first shift, man. Like, what's wrong? He's like, okay. So we skated around and played a few more shifts and then the next shift up against him again, you know, Hey, do you want to go? So I said, okay. So we dropped our mitts and, you know, went to the penalty box and, you know, we ended up having three fights that game, me and this kid. And I I, I found out this kid was from the colonial league who set some penalty minute records and I was doing fine against them, which was great. But Dave King came up to me after one practice. What are you doing? And I said, well, you guys told me you wanted me to play tougher. No, 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 no. We wanted you to play tougher from the defensive standpoint, <laughs> right? So totally misleading, right? It's like mm. telling the kids to back check, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, they go up to somebody from behind and hit them from behind because we wanted a, AKA a back check. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I was with Calgary for three years, went to their camp. Um, unfortunately I, I got offered minimum in St. John in American the other time. I didn't think that was a very good contract to accept. Mm-hmm. So I ended up parting ways with my agent, uh, went out to a family member's house in Victoria, believe it or not, and, and ran into Clayton Young. Now Clayton Young was a player that played out in Kamloops who had been playing in Germany and they just got rid of their other imports. So it couldn't have been better timing. So I ended up signing a contract in Ingolstadt in Germany. And that kind of took off uh, to my junior career or my uh, pro career out in Europe. Yeah. Well, and that's what we've gotten written down here. Three years out in Germany. What was that like? It couldn't have been, you know, smooth sailing necessarily just to transition into that game. Well, I'll tell you what, it, uh, moving to the bigger ice surface uh, definitely had to change my game because yep. Uh, my last year with the Blades, I mostly played as a defenseman, um, but in Germany, they wanted me as a forward. So bigger ice surface, um, and they weren't really used to the physical play. So it actually became almost a joke uh, where I'd come up and I'd just line up somebody and just crush them. And the fans would be like, oh my goodness, is this guy crazy? <laughs> what is he doing? Yeah. yeah. So it ended up getting to the point of where they could see me loading up to hit somebody. And then they would do the old, whoa, when I hit somebody. So (laughs) it was, uh, you became a fan favorite pretty fast over there. But, you know, there was so much pressure. Um, I still remember a a Czechoslovakian player. I had a two-on-O with another player, and I passed it over because I was generally more of a passer. Mm -hmm. And we missed. We didn't score on that play. And he came up to me and says, what are you doing, Butch? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you got to score. You're an import. If you don't score, they're going to get rid of you. And that kind of changed my whole perspective. But, you know, being 20 years old and going to Europe, um, I didn't know the difference between sugar and salt and the German grocery stores, you know, and they, they treated me well. We had billet parents to guys to help me out. I had a bachelor suite, but um, it was a great experience, but there was only two North Americans allowed per team back then. Mm. So lots of guys looking for jobs. So, that being said, it got a little old a little bit later on as I played and ended up coming back to the States, uh, you know, and, and got an invite to, you know, the Oilers team for those last two uh, NHL camps. And, yeah. you know, I was one of those Reggie Dunlops playing in the East Coast League and the Central League. So it was uh, definitely a fun time. I knew my role. I knew where I was going to be. My job was to help those guys try to get back up to the NHL. And, you know, it was fun while, until I had my kind of career-ending injury. So, With a name like Butchkowski, how good's your German? <laughs> it was very good, but the funny thing is, um, I lived in Bavaria, so I learned the slang. Yeah, yeah. And then when I went oh, up to Wolfsburg okay. in the north, I had no idea what people were saying. So, <laughs> yeah, I knew how to say food, and I knew how to say bathroom, and I think that was the most important mm-hmm. thing. Everybody else kind of spoke English, so. <laughs> how about the team culture out in Germany? Was it any different than what the team culture is like out here? It is completely different. Yeah. Um, there's more selfishness out there, more individual stuff. Okay. You know, the, the players, you know, and even the imports almost get like that because you don't want your job taken away. And that was yeah. the big difference between junior and professional. You know, you were junior. You just wanted to win as a team. The better the team did, the better the chance you had to get a contract somewhere. But in Europe, you know, you're basically kissing your chance of making it to the NHL right. away. Yeah. So you wanted to try to make your career as long as you could. And if that. If that was scoring 15 empty net goals without passing it over, a lot of guys did that. And that was hard to take. That was really hard to take. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your career-ending injury, Paul. Can you elaborate just a little bit more on that? I'm not entirely familiar with what happened. <laughs> oh, 
No, you know what? I was very fortunate uh, not to have very many injuries throughout my career. Yeah. Being the small guy and kind of hitting everybody, a lot of people probably thought I wouldn't wouldn't have lasted as long as I did. I did have shoulder surgery. I guess it would be my second year after my second year pro. Uh, they got me in and out, and they did a fantastic job of fixing me up here in Saskatoon. But mm-hmm. I ended up uh, ripping my groin in half. No. Ooh. Yeah, it was uh, oh. really unfortunate. It was just one of those things that you don't want to happen to anybody. But off a face-off, um, you know, I was getting going back to get the puck, and as I took a stride, a guy hooked my leg from the other side, and I wishboned. And um, oh. yeah, I still remember going down on the ice, and my dad always said, "Never lay on the ice unless both your legs are broken." So. That, all, that came to mind during that time. I crawled to the bench and I told the trainer in San Antonio, I said, like, I, I can't feel my leg. It's something wrong here. So took me to the doctor's room. They cut off my pants. And by that time, I was already bruised down to my knee. Oh so I ripped some goodness. tendons off the pelvic bone. And, you know, and it, it was one of those things where, uh, let's see if we don't have to do surgery. Well, tried to come back, tried to freeze it. And this is back in the day. I tried to freeze it for game seven against Oklahoma city. Unfortunately couldn't play, but tried to rehab it all summer. Uh, went back to, you know, Columbus, Georgia and the Oilers organization and just couldn't, couldn't go. And, you know, mm-hmm. you talk about politics, maybe that's, uh, you know, a discussion for another time, but you know, I, I tried hard Bruce Craven and those guys at uh, Craven sports. They, you know, give a shout out to them. They tried to get me in the best shape I could to, to go back, but, just over time, it was one of those things. And then the potential surgery came up where do you get surgery? It's 50% chance, they said. Uh, talked to a few guys down in the States, and they said, don't do it. It's not worth it. So ended up retiring um, in February of my last year playing and came back and had to get a real job. Went back to school and hmm. uh, became an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you come back to Saskatoon. That's home. Uh, you've got a young family going, uh, obviously an easy decision to come back home and get yourself, you know, keep, keep yourself busy in the sport of hockey. You found a way. You know what I did? I just, uh, you know, I, I was just actually teaching this lesson to my Bantam boys, uh, last week and, you know, the relationships you build in any sport, especially hockey are ones that you're going to keep a lifetime. And, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, even less when I see you once in a while, we have mm. a quick chat and, yep. you know, and that, uh, that goes for anything. And, you know, I'm teaching these kids that these are the relationships. We're not going to play hockey forever. Yeah. As much as we yeah. want to do, we all end up in the same place playing in the beer leagues or playing with our kids or coaching our kids. But, um, you know, it was easy for me once, uh, once I went back to school, I kept connections with a lot of those people I mean, from a professional side, you know, ran into, you know, Lauren Mulliken once in a while, ran into, you know, the late Don Clark, you know, a few of these other guys once in a while, Chris Stewart from, from Prince Albert, you know, like these are connections you want to keep because you never know when you might need a, might need to make a phone call for a favor. And, you know, coaching now. And like I said, I can't believe I had 29 teams over the last nine years. Yeah. That's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I coached my daughter all the way through and, you know, we won some championships with the Comets here in Saskatoon and, you know, but it's it's one of those things where it's a round circle and, and the hockey world is small, but it's also big, you know. So if I need to make a phone call to Jason Duda, who's who's down in the States, I can't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, the relationship is the biggest piece because hockey's only there for a little while. Yeah. Okay, Proud Papa, talk to me about your daughter, Madison. She talked about her playing for the Comets, but she's more than just a hockey player, isn't she? You know what, she's... You know, she's probably going to kill me for saying this, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, she shut, she shut her career short um, this past season. Uh, she's playing mid to AAA with the Stars. Uh, kind of had a tough goal, but she's my, definitely my most skilled child. And she's got the tools 
she's only five, two and a half, but I've never seen no more muscle on a kid than her. It's, mm. she played volleyball. She was kind of like me where she'd play every sport. Uh, she did gymnastics. She, you know, did it all. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, she had kind of a bad experience and, and, you know, shut it down a little bit. So now she's getting to the point where she's 17 years old and I'm trying to get her back involved with the Comets, maybe doing some skill development with me because I'm the development coordinator on the board of directors there. And, you know, I think she's interested, but I want to get her back in the game just for, yeah. again, those relationship uh, items that we talked about prior. She's more skilled than your son, Tyson. I mean, heck, Tyson's pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's, uh, I take a look at, you know, I've taught all my kids the same structure of skating, which, believe it or not, when you see them, they skate like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. um, but up until probably a year ago, my daughter was faster than my son, Tyson. Oh, wow. And, mm. And just five foot two of her, and, and she had a little bit of an edge too, which was nice. Which I'm trying to teach Tyson, which he does have once in a while. But um, you know, it's it's really hard to see her stop playing. Um, yeah. But like I said, I got three kids, uh, three other kids that are playing really well, and Madison is hopefully going to help me from the development side and 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 do some more work with the Comets. So Tyson is more than likely going to be drafted into the, by a WHL team at some point, whenever that Bantam t- draft takes place. Have you had those chats with him? You know, what to kind of expect? I'm sure to a certain extent, he's got to kind of have a feeling of what's coming up. Yeah, he does. I think, uh, you know, we've been affiliated with the Blazers this past year. So he's playing with, uh, you know, some older kids as well, but you know, Tyson is, is the hard worker in the family. Like yeah. he's, uh, he's out there. He'll shoot 500 bucks every couple of days. Um, he's shooting at 80 plus miles an hour. And, you know, if, uh, everyone says, Oh, how do you compare him to you when you were a kid? And I said, well, it's really tough because times have changed so dramatically. Um, I would say he's a much better skater than I am. Um, he probably definitely has a better wrist shot than I have ever had. Um, but he's starting to see the game better too, which is great. But I mean, he's shooting the puck over 80 miles an hour. He's five foot 11. He's on 170 pounds and he's got that drive, right? Yeah. And he's, I, I figure he's going to get drafted fairly high. He's rated, you know, um, as much as you can believe the ratings, you know, mm-hmm. I always do an eye roll when I see those, but you know, I, I would rank him as a, as a coach, probably the top five defenseman in Western Canada or even Canada right now, from what I've seen in his age group. Mm-hmm. And you know what, it's exciting for him, but I'm trying to also, and I hate to shelter stuff from him. There's a lot of stuff, as you guys know, that happens in the background that he doesn't need to know right now. He just needs to concentrate on playing. And, That's right. Yeah. And, and I think we got the right group of people right now, um, you know, family and friends as well, that are keeping him, you know, with that work ethic, right? Yeah. So yeah. super important for him just to go out and do what he does and play the game. Level-headed and continue to enjoy the game. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he's he's been really good with that. He gets a lot of, uh, lot of pressure on him. Um, yeah. You know, Tyson will score a goal. Tyson, you know, hit this kid, you know, type of thing to make sure, you know, you shut him down. And, yeah. you know, we play spring hockey, and, and that's the thing. You get to play against some of the top of sixes in the world. Uh, we went to France last year with the Western Canadian Select Team Canada, and, you know, we lost to the Soviet Red Army in overtime in the final. And there was 24 teams there, and Tyson was arguably one of the best defensemen in the tournament. And it was great to see you know, our local players, you know, even just in Western Canada, just how we can compete on that worldwide stage. So we're doing something right. Paul, we talked to you earlier about being involved and staying uh, busy and, you know, working from home and all that. Tough on the kids these days. You've got four of them. 
at some point in time, they may not have been able to have gone to school. They'd have to have learned online at home, which is no fun. They're not around your kid, your friends normally because of that. How do you keep them motivated and engaged right now, all four of them, when you consider what's going on in the world around them? Yeah, you know, and that's one of the really tough things is, yeah. uh, you know, when you, you know, you put them in a house. And yeah, the 10 year old twins, they're, uh, they're mini stick experts and they're <laughs> Fortnite experts. And, hmm. you know, you give them some time on the, on the video consoles, but, you know, we try to get them out to the ODR. Uh, we tried to, uh, you know, the, the twins are, you know, they harass Tyson 24 hours a day. <laughs> so that keeps them busy. But, uh, you know, my daughter's looking for job, you know, that type of stuff. But, you know, the big thing is that online learning, like, um, I was a scholastic player of the year when I played with the blades school yes. came relatively easy to me. But that online learning is really hard to stay focused, as it is from working from home, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, to try to keep them engaged from that academic standpoint has been really tough. And, you know, my daughter's in grade 11, Tyson's in grade 9, the twins are, you know, coming up in the middle of elementary school. So, you know, it's it's hard. And, you know, from that, we talk about we just had the Bell mental health discussions over the past couple mm-hmm. weeks, and we try to let the kids vent if they're frustrated and try to help them with coping mechanisms. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sport is one of those things that we're trying. So we'll go out and play mini sticks or we'll go inside and play, um, you know, some street hockey, whatever it takes. But the restrictions are really causing a a little bit of an issue with Mm -hmm. that for sure. Well, it's just important, especially at that age. Your twins are 11 years old, right, Paul? Well, they were born in 2011, so they're uh, they're turning 10 here right They're turning away. 10, okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's just the mental stimulation. Like me, myself, I'm managing the social media, and my eyes get more than strained just looking at a screen <laughs> all day. Just to get outside of the house is, you know, that can do wonders too. All right, well, Paul, uh, we got some fan-submitted questions yeah. here as well, so if you don't mind, we got a couple of them here. Uh, one guy named Darren Brooks uh, wanted to know, what player on the Blades helped you the most when you came in as a rookie? Geez, that's a tough one because, uh, you know, I skated with the Blades long before I probably played. And, you know, even guys like Trent Yanni and those guys were big, uh, big, big for me to, to look up to. But, you know what, it's really strange. It's one of the guys that I really looked up to was Sean Yakimishin. Mm-hmm. And Sean was one of those guys that, he was great in the dressing room. He, everybody loved him. Uh, he always did a good job of public speaking whenever I saw him anyway. He got into some little bit of trouble off the ice once in a while. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's one of those guys that always stuck up for you. And he taught you the road, right? He taught you the way, the path that was, was the best. He taught me how to drop the mitts. And, you know, one of those things where I take a look at, uh, you know, I ran into Sean and he was always teaching everybody lessons, whether it be uh, on the ice or in the dressing room. He was, everybody liked him. But I ran into him when I was playing in San Antonio and he was playing at Border City. And I thought this would be a great time to fight Sean Yakimishin. We've never <laughs> actually fought. <laughs> you know, t- a teacher versus student sort of thing. And I went up to him on the faceoff. I said, Sean, like, Yak, we got to go. We got we to settle this. You taught me how to fight. Let's see how well you taught me. And he looked at me and he kind of started to giggle and we line up and I thought for sure we was going to drop the mitts. What does he do? He steps on my stick, breaks it. <laughs> Another lesson learned. I had to go to the bench, Another get a new lesson. stick, and he was just giggling all the way for the rest of the game. But, uh, you know, Sean was one of those guys. Like, he didn't necessarily teach me all the life lessons, you know, outside of hockey. But I'll tell you what, he was one of the guys that I looked up in the dressing room and I knew he had my back at any given time. But, you know, going out through my career, you know, there's those one or two guys that uh, had major influence. And, and I mean, Sean was one of them. 
you know, you take a look at even guys like Mark Watton. Mark Watton was a natural leader and he always, um, you always wanted to emulate him. But one of the biggest yeah. guys outside of Sean was Glenn Gullickson. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Gullickson had a, you know, had a, had a good career from a coaching perspective. And, you know, I try to chat with him whenever I can. It's been a few years now, but, uh, you know, Glenn led by example. And I really appreciated that he would blood, sweat and tears right to the end. And he had some really good motivational speeches from a, from a captain perspective. And that definitely helped shape my career. Mm-hmm. Well, this next fan submitted a question kind of, you know, bounces off of what you're saying, Paul. Ward Hildebrand is simply asking who is your best teammate to ever play with? Oh, there's so many of those. And yeah. you know what? It's uh, a tough question. It really is tough, but you know what I mean? There's that list. I take a look at like every year that I played, we had a winning record and, and we had a good opportunity to, to win a championship. But, you know, you take a look at guys like the younger guys, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily like Ryan Fujita, Shane Calder, Sean commission, but everybody had their role yeah. and you really relied on those guys to do that. And, you know, it's, uh, you have that big bang boom line with Sean commission, Shane Calder, Ryan Fujita, arguably one of the best lines in the league, but you know what I mean? There were so many guys that did their job well. And even the enforcers, like, you know, you talk about the late Wade Belak, like mm-hmm. Wade, what a fantastic guy. Like he was one of the guys that he'd stand up in the room because he'd want to tell a joke and everybody would listen and everybody giggle. And, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where even my last practice with Wade, you know, we dropped the mitts, right? Because mm-hmm. we were losing three games to zero against Brandon and then the first round and Brandon had a win Memorial Cup and push came to shove and we dropped the mitts and we started fighting and then mm-hmm. Church and Jerome came in to try to break us up, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It was it was one of those things where it's just there's so many guys throughout that near 400 games that I played that I can't even name one because you yeah. got Warner Allen, you got Belak, Wilm, like you know some of the younger guys, and then you got the older guys, you know, like even Sean McFatridge. I'm not sure that's the name from mm-hmm. the past that uh, we just connected, uh, you know, on social media recently, but mm-hmm. you know those guys were just awesome to play with. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure, Paul. I can't thank you enough for coming on, sharing these stories. I know Les was just red in the face, laughing at a couple of <laughs> stories that you were saying. <laughs> well, you didn't ask me about the, the yellow visors. I can't believe that became. Oh, oh yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes. throughout the post on social media, what was that like? Do you think yellow <laughs> visors are in the future? <laughs> I can't believe you actually found a picture with it. <laughs> I found a couple. Found a couple. So, so well done with that. But uh, yeah, that's a story in itself. That was one of those myths again that. Oh, yeah, there was a rumor that we wore those yellow visors. Well, now you have proof. So um, I don't think we wore them for very many games, but we didn't. We did wear them. So Okay. Uh, wow. All right. Well, yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time here, Paul. Is there, hey, you know, this is a question that we haven't asked any of our guests, but is there anyone you'd recommend we try to get on? Oh, geez. There's, uh, you know what, I just recently, uh, I recently connected again, so I love social media. Yep. Um, you know what? I would probably try to get a hold of, you know, Rhett Trombley. I would mm. love to see what he's doing nowadays. Oh, I'd yeah. love to listen to some of his stories. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, he would but, be a good uh, one. I, sorry? He would be a good one. Mooner would probably be able to hook us up with him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I could get in contact with him too. But, yep. uh, you know, Rhett Trombley, any of those guys that, uh, you know, the Mike Grays and, you know, those guys would probably have some pretty fantastic stories. Shane Calder would be another one mm-hmm. who played down in the States and got some probably fantastic stories as well but mm-hmm. um i love love listening guys it's uh i'll definitely be tuning in more often now and and you know i appreciate you guys calling appreciate that paul and i hope to see you in person sooner than later once we get rid of this COVID 19 stuff hope to see you around the rink again 
Sounds good. Take care, guys. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. For sure. You bet, Paul. Thank Take you. Care. Paul Butchkowski, as you said, Les, one of the best, if not the best, multi-transparent type of player in Blades history as a forward and a defenseman. Unbelievable to have him well, come on. Well, when he when I started doing the games, again, this was in the fall of 1994, and Paul was already going into his fourth full season with the Blades. So he was an established player on the team and was playing forward then. I remember the stories of him coming up as a defenseman and big shot and, you know, very skilled and tremendous player, hard hitter. We saw all of that on display as a forward, and he had a great season offensively playing with guys like Trevor Hannes uh, and, and fellas like that. Uh, Shane Calder was one of his line mates. So he was a, he was a top six forward mm-hmm. that year. And then the next year, uh, Rhett Warner didn't come back from Florida in the NHL, and he was supposed to have been a, for- a forward, was Paul yep. supposed to have been on the top six again with the Blades. But he ended up having to so go back and forth with Don Clark, the new head coach, putting him back on the blue line because he knew he could play there. He, yeah. he, he was always there on the power play yeah. as a point man, but all of a sudden now he's playing and going back and forth between defense and forward and probably ended up playing more defense than anything else because of the departure of, of Rhett Warner. So mm-hmm. uh, Paul was able to do it all and do it yeah. very well. And that was the thing that I remember about Paul Bichkowski as yeah. a member of the Blades in his 19 and 20-year-old seasons. Well, also a great storyteller. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> a tremendous storyteller. Big thanks to Paul for coming on. That leads us into this week's trivia question with a chance to win a $20 gift card to the Frozen Pond. Now, Paul has one of the most well-documented Blades careers in history. His name is next to two franchise records, question is, what are the two records he holds? That's right. All right. And I know which ones they are. I just was looking at this uh, uh, record book of, not really book, it's it's a file. I've got, I've got a Microsoft got a, Excel file yeah. of stuff that is fairly significant. Uh, I, I thank Jared Brodsky, uh, former uh, assistant general manager of the team I've been able to maintain. And actually, i got to update it a little bit here in the next few days. <laughs> if we get started playing definitely, yes. I'm going to have to update it. But yeah. uh, that, that file is, and, and Paul Bichkowski's name is at the top, if not near the top, of many, many. of those uh, categories. Many. Yep. So that's it. What are the two records that Paul Butchkowski holds? If you know the answer, head to SaskatoonBlades.com. Find the Blades Uncut podcast located in the interactive tab. Fill out the form. Send us an email at info at SaskatoonBlades.com or drop us a line in Facebook or Twitter. You could win a $20 gift card to the Frozen Pond. Perfect. Absolutely. All right. And keep in mind, this Blades Uncut podcast, episode 27, presentation of Great Western Brewing Company and also... Never forget about Save On Foods. Let Save On Foods do the shopping for you. Shop online today at saveonfoods.com. So do you, I mean, we brought this up last week in uh, in talking with uh, with Wyatt McLeod and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he really wasn't all that terribly much into watching television during the quarantine and during the, uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I, on the other hand, living at home with my wife, <laughs> we tend to watch a lot of television in order to yeah. pass away the time, especially in the evenings after work or on weekends. Uh, this past weekend, we started in on a new Netflix series that she was told about. Hmm. And we actually are pretty close to finishing now all five seasons, if you can believe. We started just, on a Saturday and we've binge just watched. Binge watched. Binge watching like crazy. Greenleaf. Greenleaf. I haven't even heard of that. Greenleaf. Rick Fox, the former NBA player is one of the stars of the show. Okay. Uh, Merle Dandridge is the lead actress. Uh, she's... What's it about? 
Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, it, it's it's very it's got a very religious back a feel to it, but it's, okay. it's it's about religion and the scandal that is involved in various religions in the South, oh, especially the okay. South of the United States. So right. it's so, set in Memphis, and it's uh, it's uh, is it like uh, do, like a docu series? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. It is it, it is a it is a drama type of a series. Okay, uh, it is all right. It's it's quite good. It, so it, it's fiction. It's oh yeah, it's it definitely, is fiction. It's definitely okay. fictional. Yes, okay. this is me not knowing. I haven't even heard of this. Oh, try it. Gotta, okay, I'll I'll try you it for check sure. It How many seasons? A lot of seasons. Five obviously. seasons. Five worth. seasons. We're almost done season five. Wow, I can't believe it. And it's kept you going back. It's, it's got to be half decent. We, we, it, it's oh. good. Les like Lazarick is a supporter of Greenleaf. Yep. Okay, I'll have to try that out. Yep, for sure. I'm not much of a Netflix watcher. I've been trying to stay away from watching Netflix. Okay, we went on to Amazon Prime. We also have okay. that. Okay, uh, so... Yellowstone. It, uh, I was about to say. Yeah. Kevin I, Costner's series is very good. I haven't seen it yet, but just in watching a couple of the clips, I follow them on, on Twitter and they'll post a few clips every now and then. Looks to be a great show. I'm it hearing is. more about it. It is. Three seasons worth of that one. We've pretty much watched all of it too. Yellowstone. Uh, yeah. I would hardly recommend Yellowstone as well. Is that the best Kevin Costner? Uh, it's an interesting Kevin Costner. It's something okay. totally different than what you would expect yeah, to see out of him. that's what I've heard. So as a result, I think he does a very good job of selling himself as a Western-type rancher type yeah. of dude rather yeah. than the type of, you know, uh, character he would have played right. in the past. It's certainly not Tin Cup, I'll tell you that. No, sure. that's that's one of my favorite <laughs> it's Kevin It's one of Costner's. mine, too. <laughs> it, it, totally different from Kevin totally Costner different. and Tin Cup. Different version. That. Yeah, I'm not sure he's got to sell it. I'll have to try it out, because I couldn't imagine Kevin Costner being Very a rancher good. type. But well worth it. All right. I've just been binging The Office, like, Oh, back and forth. It's I'm on like watching through like three for the third time or so. <laughs> yeah, you've I'm sure you've seen The Office. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A- yeah. Interesting show. Yes, interesting it is. Show. And then the, there's the whole makeover shows that I like. Yeah, have you seen that uh, Leftovers show on Netflix? No. It's actually quite interesting. It's it's a competition. It's a food competition show. Oh, okay. Where these three chefs chefs take leftovers and have to create something really good out of these leftovers. See, I watch Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. I love, I maybe love not, watching that. Maybe not quite the drama that you get from Hell's Kitchen, oh. but not a bad show. Yeah, not I'm a bad, bad show. Oh, Gives good. me the odd idea every now and then. Oh, good, so. good. Also, you know, reminds me that I'm a, a terrible cook when it comes to it. So, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this has been episode 27 of Blades Uncut, a presentation of Great Western Brewing Company. Yes. Big thanks to Great Western for... Our for committing as a title sponsor, as always, there are numerous ways to listen to this Blades Uncut podcast Spotify, Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and of course, CJWWRadio.com. Les, thanks for inviting me into the booth. Not a problem. Happy to have you here, and we look forward to doing it all again next week. And who knows what news we'll have on the WHL front then. Speaking of next week, yes, we should have some news. Yes. Hopefully, we'll Hopefully. have some news. Yes. But I've also got, I'm working on our guest for next week. Okay. This is a guy who said, yes, I'm looking forward to speaking with Les. Oh. Wow. Right. Poor He's guy. He's a former NHL player. Okay. Long time NHL player. Okay. One I of the greats. I, I think I have a pretty good idea One of who this greats. is now, too. I have a pretty good idea who this is now. And I, he, if he's looking forward to talking to me, I'm 
absolutely looking forward to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Probably a hundred times more so, maybe even more, because he's good. He's a goat. Yeah. I'm not. He, he, he is the he goat. Is. You know, really two ways about if, if it's the person I'm thinking of that you're talking about, then it's definitely, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a goat, the actual yeah. animal. This guy is really <laughs> the greatest of all time. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll have the green light on that next week. Beautiful. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Panky, thank you so much for producing yes. this episode. As always, a legend when it comes to these audio boards. Yes. The, the buttons that he's pressing during these interviews and during these... He's shaking his head. Don't sell yourself short, Panky. Exactly. Right? Exactly. All right. So thanks a lot, Panky. Les, as always, it's been a pleasure. And we will be back next Thursday. Aloha.